Do you want to do the chan? I can't, though. No. Welcome to the Whovian View. This is Michael. I am Shelby. Colin is here. And I am with dorks, and my name is Jace. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Whovian Review, everyone. We're going to be talking about Utopia this night. Utopia. This is the first time we've actually done this podcast or this episode. So. Well, it's about darn time. I know. That's really? most of these. That, that's, that's Doctor Who for you, right? It's about time. Time travel. Michael. It's all about time. Stop. <laughs> oh my god. He's not wrong. I am not wrong. I was going to tell you guys a time travel joke, but you didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Well, coming my back friends. to the present, what do you guys uh, think about this episode? My... God, so I've always been like, oh, David Tennant's era is just like cheesy. It's very Doctor, not Doctor Who. It, well, it is Doctor Who. It's very cheesy, very goosebumps, very like, eh. But this episode kind of, <laughs> y'all need to leave me alone. Jeez, First please. of all. <laughs> Second of all. I think I need another I, couch. Oh, mm-hmm. Anyways, um, I really enjoyed the episode. I got to see Captain Jack come back, and he's one of my favorite characters ever. And I got to see him interact with Martha, flirting with everyone that he basically ran into. And the doctor was just like, um, boy. <laughs> you know? Right. I love I love how he uh, how Martha tries to actually perform CPR on him. And then he wakes up saying, was someone kissing me? <laughs> I wish that were me, though. I'm sure Freema had no problem kissing yeah. John Berman. And I'm sure John Berman didn't really have much of a problem kissing Freema either. No, pro- no, I know he wouldn't. He, he probably would have liked that. Although there is a video of of uh, John Berman at a convention getting to kiss David Tennant. Yeah, I was very excited about that, apparently. Wait, what? He, he, literally, he literally pretends to pass out on stage because of how excited he was. Who? John Berman. And then what, what, what he, was David Tennant? He kissed David Tennant on stage. On the lips? On the lips, yes. And he didn't kiss me. Wow. Well, he's... Oh, yes. He's, Sorry. <laughs> even though he's married, he's always said that David Tennant takes the cake as the best kiss he's ever had. <laughs> love. Quite a testament. He does like David Tennant, apparently. Uh, at any rate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was great just seeing his introduction from the beginning. You know, yeah, I like him in, in that whole scene too with the um, radiation, where you know the doctor is going on about like I can't handle being around you. You're this fixed point in time, all this time lordy stuff, and then Jack's like, so basically, you're prejudiced. 
And the doctor's like, yeah, I guess. It's like, wow, yeah, happened. I guess yes. you called me out there. I should probably stop being a Correct. jerk about this. Honestly, like, I've watched Doctor Who because, you know, Michael, I've been just jumping around with Doctor Who. But this entire time, I've been obsessed with Captain Jack. I never knew that he just couldn't die until this one episode. Yeah. I didn't. I no clue. This is whatsoever. the episode where they tell you. Yes, but seen <laughs> but I, I've seen him with the thirteenth Doctor and everything. Oh uh, yeah. Didn't question it, and I'm like, oh, he's kind of immortal. Oh, and remember when Face of Bo's like, uh, you are not alone. Yeah, and then that's when it was like, oh, and master. that's and that's when the doc, the master showed up. Yeah. 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 yeah you are not alone. The fact that they put his name as the initials of like the acronym, you are not alone. Dorky as hell, but kind of all about it. Yeah, and it sort of worked as being a subtle hint, I guess, except for it, was stupid it wasn't that, obvious like it. until, like, the moment when he already would have found out anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not like he got a lot of advantage out of that hint. I think it was more for the audience at this point. <laughs> it, it, it was decent direction in that it was trying to make it more epic than it probably That was a little bit cheesy in my opinion. Trying to make something a little bit more epic than it needed to be. Like, we could all connect the dots. Even before he said he was the master, I'm like, okay, well, yeah, no shit, this is the master. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was probably very different for, you know, like, I had just been watching pretty much new Who for this and, you know, the master was like, you know, my first experience was with that master and stuff, so. Really? Yeah. It was my first master. I think... My first master had to be the master from, like, the Tom Baker era. I don't know what his name is. And then the second one would maybe have been Missy. The the, the decaying master? Yes, the yeah. one with the really awesome facial hair that reminded me of Lucius from Rick and Morty. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that, would be, that would be Anthony Ainley. Oh, then that's probably a different one. I can't remember which doctors. It's all just wibbly wobbly. Okay. There's, there's quite a few of them. But anyway... How many different oh. masters are there? Oh, that's actually a good question. There is uh, Roger Delgado's, the very first one. He was there for John Pertwee's pretty much whole run, but he he died in a whole... So the Master only comes with the third Doctor. Yeah, he came in at the third Doctor. He came to torment the third Doctor and sort of, like, play with him because the third Doctor was exiled to Earth and, like, couldn't get his TARDIS, like, working to get off the planet or anything. Um, So the Master just came and just, like would wreak havoc, like, near where the Doctor was, like, repeatedly. He's just like the Joker of Doctor. Classic. Basically. There are two actors who played the decaying Master during the fourth Doctor era, and then the second person, Jeffrey Beavers, who played that decaying Master, turns into Anthony Ainley, who also has the goatee, so he's more Roger Delgado-like. Those are the four Masters from the classic era. Now we've had four Masters... Well, hang on, what about... Um, the one with the seventh doctor and eighth doctor. That's Anthony in. Oh, you mean the one with the eighth doctor? Okay, yeah, that would be Eric Roberts. And then there's, um, uh, then of course uh, we've got the two masters in this story, uh, Sir Derek Jacoby. I never knew, like, yeah, there was an old man as, like, a master, but then again, it I was mean, for 0.2 seconds, so. That's been away from my memory. I feel like I must have seen this episode at one point, but. Well, you know what else is interesting? interesting the master. Is that he said that he was found as a child. That means that the master has spent a full human lifetime oh as God. this person yeah. in disguise, and, like, after having seen, you know, the, uh, human nature and, and the family of blood, we get a better indication of what that means. I mean, Professor Yana is, uh, you know, in many ways a person in his own right, 
albeit a fabrication. And but do we really know that he was like a baby that way? Because I feel like with the doctor, when he went through the same transformation with his own time watch, you know, it wasn't like he started life anew, but he had these memories, you know, of a past that were kind of that were kind of kind of construct construct. Calibrate. I don't know. It's likely that he did have a longer period of time than the doctor, though, because... At least 17 sure. years, because that's how long he spent as a, as with a baby, child, though. do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, I think well he, he didn't say baby, he said child. He was hiding at the end of the universe. Obviously, he, he was doing something to keep himself hidden from Time Lords. I, obviously, the Time Lords were all requested to come back to Gallifrey for the Time War. And although the Master does go back at some point at the beginning of the Time War, it's not clear whether he was there through the duration. So it's possible that he escaped, not wanting to have anything to do with war in general, because it was not his, in his mind, it wouldn't be his war to, to have. So he would have gone off and become a human so they could avoid the Time War. That would probably be the most logical explanation. Yeah. Makes and sense to me. Plausible. But I think, I think this... Is kind of, when we first saw this episode, we had no idea the master was going to be in this episode. It was well hidden, so that was yeah. a really good that was a really good idea um, to do that. And um, and at the time, it was kind of shocking when he came in and said, "I am the master." Oh my gosh, I know, and it, it almost like makes me like flip on the other part of the episode. Like it, it almost seemed like it had a slow start to it, just in comparison to how uh, the master was brought in. But really. It was like the doctor at his best. Everything was going very smoothly. He comes in, and usually there's a huge problem, but no, everything's gathered. The TARDIS comes back to him on a silver platter. He's able just to flip a few switches, and all the problems for this, you know, band of humans are solved. And he's met a brilliant scientist who's just excellent in every way, and the doctor always loves doing that. The doctor can show off, you know, his great brilliance and science. And still be impressed with humans. And and you'd even think that that might be a more normal interaction with the doctor, you know? It might not always be so perilous, and I'd just be like, well, I need this information to save the day. Yeah. And I feel like this was that story. Um, for the most part, I appreciated a lot of that. Yeah, I didn't really think about it, it that way. Really and I, I drank it down very easily. Other than the future kind. I mean, obviously running away from the future kind is uh, kind of a perilous thought, especially if they break into the compound. Yeah, it those, was, those guys were was, kind of... I feel like they quickly got away from it and, and diffused the situation. You know, it was well, very quickly like... Let's all take shelters. Like, well, yes, I second shelter. (laughs) Well, the doctor certainly ran very fast. Yeah, and even when the future kind person got in, they only disrupted things briefly. And it really, yeah, I mean, it it seems like... at the end, too, you know, for a very long portion of this episode. I I I think they were almost there, like, as the token bad guy type of thing for the episode of having, you know, the the monster here, because otherwise there would not be much of a conflict and... You know, you need some things, but they were kind of thrown in there, but it didn't really end up mattering that much. No. It didn't. If anything, it just added more drama when it came to the doctor realizing that was the master and he was regenerating and Rose and Jack, Captain Jack needed to be, like, preoccupied with something. Yeah. It really just didn't matter. I mean, it gave oh, a lot yeah. of context. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. It gave some context to the situation of, like, why these people wanted to get off the planet, too. You know, this wasn't their utopia. Yeah, that's a good point. This wasn't their utopia. Wow. I want that stitched on the pillow. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I, I don't know. I thought it was really interesting because the Master's always been a character who is very similar to the Doctor in, like, every way but the fundamental morality of it all, you know? They're both extremely intelligent and productive and ambitious and, you know... Well, if you go in, back in to, their own ways, and they were friends. If you go back up. to the classic series too, the master often is more suave and sophisticated than the doctor. Even he's he's yeah. like the classic baddie who who actually exudes all that um, that kind of uh, I'm charisma. Charisma, yes, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, he just had that charisma, and and it's just you know. If he were tweaked and instead, you know, turned towards doing what we would consider to be good things, then it totally makes sense that he and the Doctor would be phenomenal collaborators and just sit and bask in each other's admiration. And you can really see there how, you know, when they were younger, they were such good friends and how the relationship sort of changed over time just through seeing what their relationship could be. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But um, I think the one good part of, I think one of the great parts of this particular episode was that it built everything up just right. You didn't know exactly what was going on. There was a lot happening all at once. It was very fast-paced. And yet, and like you said, Colin, the doctor had all these things going for him. Um, but you, we, I think that's where we were all anticipating something to go wrong. Somewhere along the line, it has to. Um, and so, of course, they did obviously have one future kind person going all throughout the, the compound. So she was the one that kind of triggered everything. But what, what actually went wrong was that it turns out Professor got into the master and he let in the future kind to attack them. No, yeah. I think it was designed so we wouldn't see it coming. Yeah, the, 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 you know, the future kind were just dangerous enough that it was feasible that they were the villain of, of the Yeah, and for, but for also Professor Yana, played by Derek Jacoby, or Jacoby, I guess he called I don't know how to pronounce his name, honestly, but he's such a phenomenal actor. Oh my god, yeah, and like just the sort of um, increased, you know, prevalence of, of him getting, like, hearing the drums, and, you know, then he started, like, hearing echoes of Time Lords. Including the Masters. Yeah, and then the Masters started talking to him and, and stuff, and that all was um, really, really good. And I think that also it's um, nice that, like, the way that this was positioned through the season is that, like, you've got human nature and the family of blood that you know, introduces the concept of the chameleon arc and, you know, has the whole, goes through the whole science behind this. You don't have to address that in this episode. It can be dramatic because everyone knows what's happening. But then I also like that, um, even though we didn't podcast it this way, I like that Blink was in between them as a standalone story because then you're not really thinking about it anymore. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was, I was thinking how, like, I've had a very difficult relationship with Martha and her character development through all this because it's it just it kind of bothered me how it's always Rose this Rose that I'll never amount to Rose the Doctor will never never see me blah 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 but then and she was a blonde that explains it yeah and you know Captain Jack and Martha kind of like vibe into like that idea well yes but at the same time. Captain Jack was totally on the same page as her yeah. and felt the same way and exactly. yet he continued to be 
become a, you know, good and stronger person while in the doctor's presence, and he didn't complain about it constantly. And well, I'm not sure that Martha isn't becoming a better and stronger person throughout all, too, even if it's, you know, not as easy to watch, so. you know, her relationship with the doctor and how Rose is brought up, you know, quite as much, you know, you'd think she would grow past that specific aspect, but... And I think her character is developing, and she is growing in a lot of other ways and dimensions. That's true. I just think that when Martha, whenever Martha is with the Doctor, she becomes a weaker person. I don't know. I think it's more like when things are brought up, like in Human Nature and and the Family of Blood. There is I don't I don't think there was any weakness whatsoever. And the Doctor wasn't there for most of it. It was John Smith. But she was there with him. And she was there taking care of him. Yeah, but the doctor wasn't there. Yeah, that wasn't the doctor, the intimidating, all-knowing, smart doctor. It was just a shell of a person he made himself to be. But I guess you could also consider that to be the same for anyone, because the doctor is so above everybody else, and he even knows it. He, He kind of... He almost brags about it. Well, right. Rose, Rose became undoubtedly a better and a stronger person whenever the doctor was in the room with her. I think, it, I think you know, to some degree it was more... Now, I, I think even when he was outside of the room, you know, that's... Yeah. She oh, overall, more she, showed, well, that she became better and better throughout it, whereas Martha, I feel, is in many ways held back in her potential by the doctor. She knows so much more the about the universe and the way of reality and time. Now, I feel like you can't just discredit that, you know, even though it seems more minor in comparison to okay. Rose that's more that, potentially that's, dynamic and Martha appears more static, but she has had a lot of growth. That's fair. I, I just, I guess I think that she has a lot more potential and that she just doesn't come close to reaching. And it's because she's held back by her unrequited love for the doctor. Well, maybe she needs to, you know, learn how to live forever and get kicked out of the TARDIS for a few hundred years. <laughs> I don't think it's that, though. I think it's more that she's held back by the fact that the Doctor usually takes over and does something himself. I mean, yeah, she, obviously she has a conflict with about hearing Rose, but then again, I, I feel like that's somewhat realistic that you, that that's going to happen anyway. I mean, even if it's just between two friends... If you're always constantly hearing about the other friend all the time. Or hearing about an ex or something like that in general, you know. Yeah, it just, that would get a little bit grating on the nerves to anybody. That's true. Yeah. And so, and I think she's still pretty strong. She holds up to the doctor when she needs to. But she doesn't always need to. And that's why she's a little, she's, that's why I like Martha a lot. Is because she doesn't always force herself to put the doctor in his place. I think she kind of lets things slide because she's got to concentrate on the moment and what they're doing at that point in time. I kind of like when the, doc, when the companions put the doctor. Yeah, me too. Truth. Well, but Martha because does. we all relate to the companions because clearly we're not all the doctor, and we don't, I don't right. I don't want to like, you know, like for example, Clara, awesome, Bill, hundred percent my favorite companion. I can relate to her. She was super smart. She had her own thing going on. She wasn't blinded by like her love. For the doctor, she even reminds the doctor, like, "Oh, by the way, I've kind of been to chicks." Just so you know, the doctor's like, "Um, okay, <laughs> yeah, like he doesn't, yeah." But I don't know. I just that companion because we all relate to the companions. I don't really would like to really associate with because I kind of see her as weak and really codependent. It's not fun. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm totally on board. There are errors of that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I still feel like 
Well, we we can we can table the Martha thing. Okay, okay. yeah. I think we all just begged to differ. I think Shelby and I are on the same page. You're in your own world. I don't know where Colin's point of view is. I think, I think just, Colin's Colin's kind of in the middle. I think he's like whatever, Martha. Yeah, I, I see. I see both sides of the equation. I mean, I I do understand that you know, um, like what I said before. I think that Martha is less of a dynamic character than Rose is in terms of visual you know, change and development that happens. But I think just by stepping into the TARDIS and going back in time and forward in time and having these experiences, you know, you already see a lot of growth and, and change in her character and what she's able to do. Plus, we've only been through with her for one season. Rose has already had to. Right, I think it's, like, annoying that Rose pops up. and I, But I think it's more, you know, stuff like that, you know? It's like, oh, wow, I wish she didn't hamper on that. I wish that wasn't an emotional hang-up for her, but, you know, it, it is. But I still think she is, you know, developing as a character in a positive way. As, like... Not as much as, as I think Rose did, and, and I, I admit that. So I, I guess maybe I am taking some sort of another Rose. I mean, here. I haven't really watched a lot of the David Tennant era, but I'm kind of wondering, is there, like, a reason that Rose keeps being brought up? Because I've seen other Doctors as other companions, and it's just like an ongoing, reoccurring thing that, like, the Doctor brings up and that even Captain Jack brought into the equation and that Martha is constantly struggling with. I haven't seen it to this depth to with any other Doctor. I wonder if there's, like, a reason behind it. Well, it's a a great device, too, to just, like, put this wedge in with, like, Martha and and the Doctor. It makes the dynamic change a little bit. Well, he don't love you, girl. Accept it. Just go on fun adventures. Well, it's also yeah. her, her. It's it's she's accepting it at her own pace. She's so, slow. Well, she's only been through through a few adventures with them so far. I'll give her that. Adventures. But she also, I think, it becomes less and less. It only comes up in the story because Captain Jack comes into the story, and he's the one that brings up Rose. So it's like, oh, yet another person that knows Rose. So it's kind of more in her face than her finally dealing with it on her own. And hey, Martha found someone that she knows in this episode, too. Anyone else catch that while they're trying to close the door against the future kind? She hears the master shouting in the TARDIS and says, hang on, I know that voice. <laughs> yes, she did. Wait, who said that? Martha. Martha. Say, I know that voice? Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, the master who just came and got that voice. What? <laughs> Which... Is that, like, foreshadowing? It must be. I think that's what Shelby is alluding to. <laughs> Shelby, look at you. Spoilers. <laughs> but that. it did happen in the episode. If you, yeah. If and you missed it. Also, speaking of his voice, I mean, that was kind of fun seeing him, like, trying out the new things with his voice. Because we're always seeing the Doctor do that. Like, you have the fourth Doctor trying on different outfits You're on them, you know? Yeah. Going through that sort of thing. And, like, you know, oh, Matt Smith was all, like, let me try eating different foods and... <laughs> They made the Master a little bit more fun. Obviously, they totally ditched the idea of the Master from the past. But I guess, in a sense, they wanted to because they wanted to... This was a new show. This was a well, new Master. Well, plus, it's a re- new regeneration. I mean, yep. you could do that. That's kind of the beauty of the whole concept of regeneration. Plus, it was explicit. You know, here in this new age of Doctor Who, we're seeing these younger, you know, more vibrant Doctors, you know, in, in a different dimension. And... Just in the same way, I think uh, the master even said, you know, oh, I can be just as young and just as strong. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely uh, just paralleling 
you know, kind of that transformation that we see here in the new series. Totally. Absolutely. I think that's that's kind of cool. Kind of cool. <sighs> so, rating. <laughs> yes, we should probably read this. Maybe. Colin, would you like to start us off? Oh, I would love to. Thank you for the suggestion, Shelby. <laughs> I right. feel like we should all play a dice game one day and just be like, okay, whoever rolls the highest number goes first. Just whoever, one day. Whoever rolls doubles gets to choose who goes first. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. Well, then. Anyway, all right. Anyway, well, that is what I declare is the one who goes first. Um, but I, this was a, a great episode. I really appreciated this. You know, I, I alluded to this uh, beforehand, but... I really enjoy just like this, um, this building up of this episode. I just love seeing the doctor at his best, solving problems. Um, things were going well. I love the intellectual curiosity, you know, from the soon-to-be master, or I guess the master in disguise that we see here. Um, uh, we the master in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I thought it was a great case episode. I love the twist as the master came out. Um, I enjoyed uh, uh, Captain Jack coming back into the mix. That was exciting, and I loved him just jumping onto the TARDIS. I did have some problems of how possible that might be, but I suppose, you know, the, the TARDIS likes Captain Jack, and there's some other things that we can we can grant. And he can't die. Uh, of course he can't die, but I, I also feel like I've seen the TARDIS covered in snow, and the TARDIS zoom off, and the snow just kind of sweep off behind <laughs> Wait, can Captain Jack regenerate, or does he just keep being older and older and older and older? Well, the doctor doesn't look like older. He had just gotten work done. Remember, the doctor was like, "Did you just get work done?" Oh, so I guess he does age. Wow, an old boy. Okay, keep going, Colin. He do be being old. He do be being old though. Yeah. True. Um. But yeah, I'm I'm right here with this. I, I think this has a lot of great elements. Just the master coming back into the mix. Um, and I, I like seeing both of the masters in the regeneration there. I think this is a great episode. It seems like a great setup to a rest of a story. But the cheese stands alone on this one. And for this, it's going to get a big cheese of 9 out of 10. Wow. He really went there. I suppose it's my turn. So... I never thought I would say this to a David Tennant episode. I'm just kidding. But I actually... Re- <laughs> I actually really like this episode. I love that Captain Jack came back. I love how we somehow learned that he was immortal. Um, I also really loved, like, how never in a billion years would I have guessed that this would have been the episode that the Master comes back on. Because when I think the Master, I think some big dramatic thing for attention, blah, blah, blah. But they had these other villains to distract from even the possibility of that even being a thing. So when that happened, I was like, oh my God. And like, before he said he was the master, I figured he was the master. But like, it was just a really awesome setup. Totally down for it. I agree. You go, whoever directed this and wrote this. It's pretty awesome. Um, I kind of like, I don't know how I feel about David Tennant in this. I think I liked him. Yeah, liked him. I don't know. That was my short review. I'll give it a 9 out of 10. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well... I got to say, uh, Colin, you did sway me a little bit on this one because uh, I never really thought about the value of this beat, like starting off as just sort of an episode where everything's going the doctor's way for once. I thought, wow, this is all pretty 
you know, straightforward, a little boring, but there is something golden about that, too, because we never do see that, and it's presumably, true. yeah, presumably the Doctor has those type of things in some of his other non-broadcast adventures that he, you know, randomly alludes to, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that was kind of nice. I thought that, you know, I thought all the acting was great in it, and the character development with uh, with Captain Jack and then also with the Master, even though most of the time we didn't know it was character development for the Master, was really great. I thought the ending was awesome. Um, but I thought that, you know, although it was there was great character development and, uh, you know, phenomenal ending, a lot of the episode wasn't, you know, particularly gripping. Um, so I'm going to give this one an 8 out of 10. Hmm. Well, interestingly enough, because the number that I had been thinking of this whole time was 8 out of 10 as well. Oh. That's what I'm going to give it. Um, wow. That was, that was a quick rating. Why? Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> Goodbye. Good night. Happy Friday. Explain. Wait. Explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Usually you don't start with the number. <laughs> but I could kind of had to. I mean, it just kind of worked. Um, no, I, I mean, echoing what everybody else has said, there, it, it wasn't, it didn't start off as the greatest episode, but it was fun. This is a fun episode. And so, at least for the first half, it was just kind of running around, just, it, and, or, and being introduced to different characters and meeting the great Chanto. Which I thought was beautifully. That's her name. I thought the makeup was beautiful. Was makeup was beautiful. The, so did the actress Jack. was beautiful. The actress shows up in Doctor Who at some point again later on. I don't know who she is. I, I'm so sorry for those who are out there that know. Um, I should have done my research today, but all I know is that she did a phenomenal job. I really think they. I really wish that they could have done more with Derek Jacoby's master, though, because I would have enjoyed his dynamicness in that role. Unfortunately, we don't get to see much more. Um, now, if you are a fan of his master, though, you, he is in the audios. So, How? He, he's sir, like, you mean as Professor Yano or as the... No, as the master. But so, how? Because there was no... Well, obviously, he was not the master before. Or obviously, he was the master before he turned into... Obviously, oh, somewhere in this episode, he went in the TARDIS and he closed the door. You know, we didn't see the whole time he was sneaking in the TARDIS. He could have gone anywhere and had all numbers of adventures before popping out. And yeah, he did kind of have a TARDIS that his back and call. Yeah. He just yeah. came back to regenerate. I mean, that to, opens up everything. You know he would come back to just to gloat to the doctor to say, ha I got your TARDIS anyway. Um, but at any rate, we don't know how. How or why? I haven't listened to the audios yet. But, but that makes sense that it was before. <laughs> it could have been before he turned himself into a human, which would then, of course, support Colin's theory that the master actually what didn't start off as a child in this form. He actually was a full-grown adult when that he became sense. human. Um, all that aside, I I really do like this episode. I I don't think it quite fits the bill for the best episode or in my top twenty, but. That's why I'm giving it an 8. All right. Fair enough. Can I give it an 8.5? No. We are 9s, Jace, and we will stay for... Wow, he doesn't want to be alone. Of course you can. I just... Why, you know, why, why would, would you want... And Colin, 
You are not alone. I love you. Are not alone. <laughs> I'm here with you because I like the episode. I really do. But I don't know because like even with like bands, music for example, like I gauge whether or not I like a band or a genre based on if I'm willing to revisit it on my own time and enjoy it. As far as this episode goes, I like the episode. It was breathtaking, but I don't know how many times I would re-watch it. I think my favorite episode of Doctor Who of all time would be the Husbands of River Song because I would watch that over and over and over again. <laughs> this time I could probably watch this two or more times and be done with it, but it was still like a really moving episode that I'm definitely not going to forget. So that's why I kind of want to give it one negative point five for me, but yeah, eight point five. Fair enough. That's fair. Love you, Colin. No, that's fine. But thinking back on it, I would like to raise my <laughs> to a nine and a half out so, of ten. We support you, Colin. Yes, because you know I, I don't know how many times I will revisit this episode, but if it was on, I would watch it all the way through. It was captivating. It had my attention. It had great vibes. It wasn't something that tried to spook you out from the corners. You felt comforted by knowledge and, and information. And Okay. And then, but yes, you're right. Yeah. There was a twist in it and opened up a grand new possibility that was then a grand new evil enemy to and the series. And this was totally life-changing to Doctor Who in the modern era. Right. It had two throwbacks to the classic series in it, too, I should point out. First and foremost, a cliffhanger, which we don't usually get in Modern Who, but the cliffhanger was very classic in that it revealed something and then it kind of leaves you hanging for the next episode. Um, the other one was David Tennant literally um, quotes Tom Baker's Doctor by, by saying that humans are indomitable. And he says it twice, just like Tom Baker does Good in, word. The, in the Ark in Space. Oh. Although I do have to say, if this was a classic Doctor Who episode, the cliffhanger definitely would have been would have been on the moment where he's like, "I am the master." I have hundred ten percent agree. Like the Doctor Who music, like exactly. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, that, it, it, I wouldn't say that absolutely okay. because there were a lot of Doctor Who episodes. No, I'm just saying if you're having a classic cliffhanger, you know that's we're, what I'm saying. We're making a joke, Michael. I get it, but what I'm trying to say is that there are a lot of classic cliffhangers where it was not quite the cliffhanger. So, or okay. just like, okay, this okay. is ending, but keep so walking. So I would say yeah. that, okay, so you're basically comparing this to a bad classic cliffhanger. We're just in general. Or maybe just classic in <laughs> Like, I think Michael's point is, there is those, like, what, 6, 12, 78 parters in the classic... <laughs> and, and some of those cliffhangers were just some <laughs> some of those cliffhangers could be like you know um, Davison just like farting and then everyone being shocked and then he's looking at the camera and then you know <laughs> it just goes to like oh my god there is one uh, one of the Probably the most famous of them, the one that was a literal cliffhanger, where the Seventh Doctor climbs over a railing on the edge of a cliff and then, like, is holding his, you know, classic umbrella. And then, like, while sitting there, like, wobbling about, he slips and has to catch himself with the umbrella. And he's like, oh no. And it's kind of like, dude, I mean, I'm sorry, that's Darwinism at this point. Dude, like, what did you think was going to happen? Actually, literally, what made it. What made it worse was that he never. It, it was a. It was there a cliffhanger. Was no point. He, there was no point to him going down there, unless you see the next episode. Because what he was supposed to do was that he was supposed to try and climb down to the next 
level, but there'd be no way that he could do it on his own. So the way that they had made the, the studio and, the, and the, the visual was just absolutely horrific. And yes, it goes down in the in the history of the worst cliffhanger of all time. Being hey, a literal cliffhanger. Worst cliffhanger. I was trying to make that joke too. Look at us. <laughs> we're all making it. The audience was making it before we even yeah, got there. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Oh, great mind. Yeah. Also, I said literal cliffhanger. Yeah. But we know that there are a lot of bad cliffhangers throughout Doctor Who, but we have to admit that some of them are pure utopia. <laughs> yeah. And talking about cliffhangers, what will we think of in the next episode? Is it a two-parter or three-parter? Do you not know what a cliffhanger is? I know. I, know. I feel like our cliffhanger for this episode, since we're talking about cliffhangers, should be the beginning of a joke, and then if you watch our next